Listen in for a moment and I'll share with you the seven statements that the Lord Jesus pronounced when he was being crucified. The first was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then looking at his mother and John, the disciple who stood with his mother at the cross, he said, Woman, behold your son. John, behold your mother. And then to the thief who hung alongside of him and confessed that he was the Lord, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, this day you will be with me in paradise. After six hours of hanging upon the cross, Christ then cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Immediately after which he said, I thirst. And then in quick procession, he proclaimed, It is finished. And his final words were, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. We'll be considering all of these in the next few broadcasts. Welcome, everyone. This is the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, and the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism. And I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the director of CPE and the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life. If you wish to learn more about our work, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Everything that Jesus said upon the cross was real. It wasn't an act or a calculated word to produce an effect upon the crowd around him. It sprang from the heart of Jesus as he bore the punishment of our sins. And yet every word he said was used of God to answer his first word, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You will recall that when the Lord Jesus was being nailed to the cross, he prayed out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Every time that the Lord Jesus prayed and prayed to God, he referred to God as Father, every time but once, every time but once. He referred to him as Father, and on this occasion, as he prayed, as he was being nailed, he prayed and named the Father and asked that he might bring forgiveness to those that were nailing him to the cross, to those who were participating in his crucifixion. He gave a defense for them at that time. He said they don't know what they're doing, but this defense that he gave was not an excuse. They were still guilty, and they still needed to come into forgiveness. They still had to come up to a point where they could receive that forgiveness. And so the defense that he made of their ignorance was also a pinpointing in his prayer of what needed to be overcome in order that they receive that forgiveness. They needed to stop being ignorant. They needed to come to see what they were doing. They needed to see and understand who it was that Jesus is. And they had to come to see in this their own sin, their own culpability, what their part was in putting their Messiah to death on the cross and having understood these things, having this ignorance removed from them, they, they had to be brought to a point of repentance and to believe in God's way of forgiveness. And last week, we began to consider how the Lord Jesus' prayer to the Father there as he was being nailed to the cross began to be answered, how God responded to the Son as he prayed that prayer, even at the point of the cross. We began by seeing the portrait or the picture of this scene in which a great crowd is gathered around and the leaders of the Jews and the priest of the Jews and they're gathered around the cross and they're mocking him and they're hurling their insults at him. And then in this place where they're mocking him, the Roman soldiers begin to mock him as well. And then along with the mocking of the Roman soldiers, eventually we read in the progression that those who were crucified with him, the thieves, the two thieves on either side of him, began to mock him and revile him, it says, in the same manner. And by the way, I would recommend that you take some time leading up to Easter to read the account of the crucifixion 
in all of the different Gospels and read the accounts of the resurrection as we come towards Easter in all the Gospels. I might recommend to you, if you can find it, a book called The Life of Christ in Stereo. I'm tempted next week to let that be our scripture reading and to bring it with me because it takes all of those passages and folds them all together in one kind of symphonic voice. And you see all of the elements of the story wonderfully complement one another. And so we're looking at one text here, but all the texts inform us of these events that take place. The Lord Jesus is being mocked by the crowd. He's being mocked by the leaders. He's being mocked by the Roman soldiers. He's being reviled and mocked in the same manner by the thieves that are being crucified next to him. But as this is taking place, God the Father begins to answer his prayer that they would come to a realization of what they were doing and that they would come to repentance. And one individual at that moment has their eyes opened up. And it's the most unusual candidate of all. It's one of those thieves that's suffering on the cross next to him in the midst of his own agonies, in the midst of his own suffering, looking over at the Lord Jesus, who has been defaced by the trauma of scourging and crucifixion himself, and is struggling for breath, and is fighting with a body that is struggling in death. His eyes are opened up to behold before him the sinless Savior. And with this sight, he sees himself in his own sin, and he acknowledges that what he's experiencing is of his own deserving. He corrects the other thief who is reviling Christ still and says, don't you fear God? We're all going through the same experience here and this one does not deserve it, but we are getting, we are getting what we deserve. Think about that. He is suffering the most cruelest form of death that human beings could invent in order to strike fear in the heart of all those looking on. Crucifixion. It's an agony that was meant to last for days before you transpired. It's a tormenting agony, and as he's going through it, he says, we are getting what we deserve. What this is, is repentance. He's acknowledging his own sins. And as the voices are still sounding forth, they're mocking at the Lord Jesus, he speaks to the Lord Jesus himself, and he says, Jesus, when you come in your kingdom to reign on the earth, in essence, remember me. Now, this is not just repentance, but as we learned last week, this is faith. He doesn't understand all that Christ is doing on the cross, but he knows that Jesus isn't going to be ended there at the cross. He understands that Jesus is going to return in power to rule on the earth, and he knows that at one point in time, the Lord Jesus will set up his judgment and his kingdom over all the earth. Suddenly, this enlightened thief asks the Lord Jesus, who is dying next to him, to be merciful to him on the day when he returns in his kingdom power to judge the earth. At that moment... When the disciples are fleeing away from Christ, when they are calculating that they had made a mistake, maybe this isn't the Messiah. We had thought that this had been the one who would redeem Israel, and they're thinking, this is not the one who would redeem Israel. We have been mistaken. We were wrong. At the time in which they are going through a maze of doubts, the one suffering on the cross next to the Lord Jesus has his eyes opened. He sees clearly who this is. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is faith. He doesn't know all that Christ is accomplishing there, but this is faith. And this is faith because he knows who it is that must bring to him forgiveness and mercy. And the Lord Jesus answers him and says to him today, not some long day off in the future of my return, but today, you will be with me in paradise. And this is forgiveness. This is absolution. This is the salvation that Christ is 
providing and that he was praying for when he was being nailed to the cross. Jesus in this moment is speaking in divine power as the Savior and he's granting eternal life to this individual at the same moment in which he is offering up his life for the sins of the world. And in that moment, at least for one person, Christ's prayer is answered while on the cross and the Father gives to his Son on the cross this Precious gift of this soul, turning and turning into him. But if we were to look at the passage and the rest of what takes place in the story, we might see that God goes on to continue to put in place an answer to the prayer of the Lord Jesus as he's being nailed to the cross. And that God is at work in the events of the cross to strip away the shroud of ignorance in the minds of those who are participating in his crucifixion so that they might begin to realize who it is that they're crucifying and what they're doing and what their sin is. And so I want you to look at the cross and we will consider its redemptive aspects and what he is doing for all humanity and how he is suffering for our sins. But I also want you to see that in this great work, God is communicating to those around and those witnessing it and those seeing it themselves and their sin. Their ignorance is being removed and who Jesus is and what he's accomplishing. And he's doing all these things to bring them to repentance. And ultimately, ultimately for any human being, it is an understanding of the cross and what God has done at the cross that lays bare their sins and opens up to their eyes their Savior and removes from them whatever blissful ignorance they've lived under to bring them to a point of crying out and despair. And study two weeks ago, how after this, Peter is an expression of the ongoing answer of the Lord's Prayer because on the day of Pentecost, filled with the Spirit, he preaches. He preaches to the multitude around them and says that you with lawless hands have crucified the Prince of Life. In the very next sermon he preaches after Pentecost in the temple ground, again he accuses them and he brings before them their sin. I know, he says, that if you had known this, you did this in ignorance, but this is what you've done. On both occasions there are great movements of repentance and faith that take place in those that are hearing, all because God was, in a sense, working through these events to open their eyes to what was really taking place and to strip away the shroud of ignorance that was over them. This morning what I want to do is I want to consider two more things that take place to have this effect. Actually, as we look at this event and we see what's taking place and we recognize this great crowd that's around, we understand Luke actually tells us that this great crowd had come to view the theatrics of the crucifixion. Jerusalem was full of participants coming for the Passover feast at that time. And so not thousands, but more likely tens of thousands Witness this crucifixion and came to witness this show that was taking place. The word that Luke uses to describe this event from the eyes of those who are watching, it is found in Luke 23 verse 48 and the word is thereo and it's a Greek word that means spectacle or it's used for a theatrical event and this is the only time in the New Testament that this word is used and it's used to describe the mindset of those who are surrounding the cross. To them... This is all just human theater to be looked upon. They've come for the show. But the outcome, we're told, of this experience is different than what they came for. Their mindset is that they've come for the show, but you'll see that when they leave, they leave with a tremendous sense of woe. 
We're told that the soldiers and the centurion who participated in this event and directed it and guarded over it to make sure that it was executed in the sense of Roman order and conducted in the right way, that in the end these soldiers and the centurion themselves concluded this was the Son of God. You read that the centurion added, surely this was a righteous man. We're told that they together glorified God. They had mocked him in his suffering, but there was something that they witnessed during the time of his suffering that tore away the ignorance of their own actions. And in the end, they professed some understanding what has taken place and who he was. In fact, legend tells us that the centurion's name was Longinus, and that he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And again, we're told that when this show was over, the attitude of the crowd had entirely changed. As we said before, they came for the show, but they left with woe. Luke chapter 23, verses 47 and 48. Let me read that to you. Luke chapter 23, verses 47 and 48. Luke writes, So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. Verse 48. And the whole crowd who came together to that sight, the word there, sight, is that word thereo, to that show, to that spectacle. That's the idea that's being put across here. Seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. This is, what is this? But an indication that our Lord's prayer, that their ignorance would be taken away, that they would be drawn to a place where they might recognize who He was and what they had done, so that they might repent and believe, was, was being answered. Thanks for listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. I want to extend to you a welcome to join our worship every Sunday at 11 a.m. in the Old White Church at 1023 East State Street in the Warm Springs area of Boise. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, may God bless you.